From Advisory Board, we're bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. In our last episode, we talked about big tech and some of the major deals happening in the digital health landscape. And since then, even more news has come out. So I want to do a little bit of an update, and this time specifically talk about what we're seeing with wearables. To do that, I've brought back Andrew Rebhan, who focuses on digital health at Advisory Board. Andrew, back so soon. I know, actually. I thought after my first performance, I'd never be heard from again, so I'm glad to be back here again. Two episodes in a row must mean that things are happening in the news as it relates to digital health. Let's talk wearables this time. If I'm tracking correctly, there's been at least three big announcements that have happened in the wearable space in the last few weeks. Remind our audience and me, what actually is the big news here? Right. So it's been a busy week or a few weeks rather in, in the wearable space, right? And we were tracking a couple of different moves here. First, there was Fitbit came out with a whole new line of wearables and, and was was really the the news here was that they came out with a new smartwatch offering kind of a lot of the same things that you would expect, right? Physical tracking, heart rate, sleep patterns. But one of their new features that they were pushing was that you could actually manage people's stress by looking at this, you know, activity sensor that's already embedded there and, and a mobile app. And they also had a lot of other features like being able to search for signs of atrial fibrillation and tracking people's skin temperature for signs of fever and trying to kind of really expand beyond their fitness tracking kind of core roots, right? The thing is, though, is, of course, Apple's really kind of come in and, and sort of eaten up this market share of, of smartwatches. So if you actually go back a little bit further into the, the case around why Google would want to acquire Fitbit, this should be a win-win for you, right? You're getting a bit of a stronger foothold in the wearable space. You're leveraging Fitbit's brand. They have millions of users. So you're getting that access to consumer data and you're pairing it. If you're Google, you're pairing it with your machine learning capabilities, your predictive analytics, your strong cloud platform network. So the potential here is is pretty great as far as what Google can do with this data. But of course, they're just sharing that common competitor with Apple and their HealthKit platform and and trying to kind of build out this data and device ecosystem. But they've gone beyond Apple, right? Apple, to my knowledge, isn't doing stress. And it makes sense in this moment when every single human being in the world, certainly here in America, is experiencing stress or, or challenges with mental and behavioral health. And my understanding is that Amazon has also tried to get into new spaces that Apple had not gotten into. Right. So Amazon releases their Halo device recently. This is something where you'll actually, if you start to look at all the different wearables out there, they're they're not dramatically different. At this point, it's like they're each trying to like add just one new feature, just something else Mm -hmm. that might differentiate them. So with COVID definitely did influence this idea of tracking people's mental health and, and behavioral wellness. And so with the Halo device, they instituted this feature called Tone, which is a, a microphone that can actually analyze users' voice patterns. Hmm. Um, 
you know, typically patients or consumers, they can do this on demand. They could also opt in to have the microphone periodically check in on them throughout the day to just take a, a little small sampling of their voice and provide them with some feedback, essentially stating, um, you know, based on this analysis, you, you seem stressed or, or you seem like you're talking uh, with a little bit of kind of uh, tension in your voice or whatever that may be. Podcast hosting must clearly be an outlier to this. It could feel a little big brother for people. It could feel a little weird. And and there's even some probably skeptics who are saying like, I don't need a wearable to tell me I'm upset. Like I know I'm upset or I know I'm mad, you know, but, but there's other applications here. And, and we've actually done this in our research where we looked at this concept of artificial emotional intelligence. And there are algorithms out there that can analyze video feeds. They could look at your facial expressions, your the way that you kind of have a twitch in your eyebrow or, or a stutter in, in, in the way that you speak. They can analyze physical gestures and think about a clinician having a telehealth visit with someone and having mm. just a video feed of them and an audio and hearing their voice and seeing their face and picking up these subtle cues through AI that says this patient you know, stuttered a certain way or, or they have a, a certain expression that indicates underlying anxiety or potential depression or the onset of dementia. And these are things that patients don't always bring up or, or say to their clinician, but it's actually something that could be pulled out on the back end through these algorithms. So the fact that Amazon, such a, a large scale commercial entity, is, is implementing something like Tone is actually kind of bringing emotional intelligence out into the mainstream, which I think is really notable. You have convinced me that perhaps it can do more than what our sound engineer does when he says, Ray, you must have had a hard day when it comes to, to the time of, of recording. <laughs> but of course, Google and Amazon are just two. Tell me about the big one. What's the news with Apple? Yeah, so Apple released their latest iteration of their watch. The main new feature here is that they've they've configured their sensor that would allow the watch to, to measure blood oxygen levels. Now, they're kicking this off as it's kind of the new big feature for them. It actually is the case that Fitbit has already done this in, in at least one of their other products. So it's not the first time we've ever seen something like this. Um, but it is also likely another feature that is supported by the influence of COVID, like we saw with, with the other devices as far as stress management and tone analysis, this blood oxygen measurement is actually something that's used to help predict other symptoms of the virus, or at least it could be. So, hmm. so that's one angle to that, but they've actually launched about three different research uh, efforts to, to show how this sensor could be used elsewhere. And so I think that um, it's most notable in the sense that Apple would bring out this feature, but also bring about three new research efforts to, to try to bring some validity to it. They're not just putting it out there for consumers and hoping that they just accept it. And beyond just improving what kinds of metrics can be tracked via these devices, they also announced a new partnership with CVS. Right. Apple, as a first for their smartwatch, they've introduced a fitness subscription service. So they're calling this their Fitness Plus. This is actually, um, again, this is something that we've seen with Fitbit with their new smartwatch. They actually introduced their own kind of premium service. And then Amazon did the same thing. They call it their labs service. So this is where a user gets access to personalized workouts, they get digital trainers, wellness goals that they can track and, and try to reach from different third-party apps. 
very traditional fitness wearable stuff. Yeah, and and it's a service that is new for Apple, but again, we we've seen it from other providers. I think Halo like just beat them to the punch with it. Um and so this is a service that launches later this year. And so CVS said that they were actually going to be offering a 1-year subscription to the new Fitness Plus service to Aetna Commercial and and CVS Caremark members. And they also said something like their employees would get like a short-term free access to the program as well. And so that is notable in the sense that Apple would would pair up with CVS. But I think that there's actually probably a more simple explanation here, which is that CVS bought Aetna two years ago. Aetna actually had a pre-existing relationship with, with Apple back from 2016. So Aetna was using Apple Watches with their members to actually be a, a part of their wellness programs. They were heavily subsidizing smartwatches for these folks to essentially keep them on track with, with their health status. So think of you know providing a bunch of smartwatches to folks to, to embed this kind of healthy living initiative. And, and, and so that's essentially a pre-existing relationship that I think CVS is, is looking to build upon with this new Fitness Plus service. I mean, what this sounds like to me is this is not accidental. This has to be part of a broader strategy. Right. So CVS is certainly trying to kind of evolve their offering through this Fitness Plus service, right, after their acquisition with Aetna. But CVS has been playing a lot of different routes here, right? They have their health hub concept. So they've been talking about launching, you know, 1500 locations through the end of next year, which they're still making traction on. And they're offering all these, you know, new services as far as counseling and health classes and telehealth visits and having care concierge and all that. But they've also launched a digital health formulary. So there's you know, over 300,000 mobile health apps out there. How does anyone navigate that space? Mm-hmm. You have a formulary. This is something like what Express Scripts did, what Salesforce and Valentis have done. It's a way of just kind of providing a much more defined, clinically validated set of apps. So these are groups like Vita Health, Hinge Health, Weight Watchers that CVS has sort of put their stamp of approval on for, for members to, to use those mobile health apps. And you know even if we had to think of something else that CVS has done, and this really plays into their focus around being a community partner, is their focus around social determinants of health. So hmm. they invested about $67 million in affordable housing last year. They're looking to top that this year. And even in July, they announced that they were investing $600 million to address racial inequality over the next five years. So they're clearly putting their money towards community efforts. They are tapping into the digital health space to gather patient-generated data, social determinants data, and they're building out their health hub model to focus in on on primary care services on site. So we're talking about, again, just having their hands in lots of different spaces and really building out a, a pretty robust effort to redo how they're placed in this healthcare ecosystem. We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. Looking for more ways to connect with Ray and our other experts to stay up to date on the biggest news and issues in healthcare today, follow advisory board on social media there, you'll find resources for your team, our experts' latest blog posts, and information about upcoming special events. On Twitter, we're at AdvisoryBD. 
and we're on Facebook and LinkedIn too. Just search for Advisory Board. This is what's most interesting to me because the conversation about wellness in traditional healthcare systems is largely something that is off to the side at best, right? We know that it's good for people to exercise and to eat right, but there's not enough happening to really bring down costs in systems. And what I'm hearing is there is so much data out there that it would overwhelm frontline providers who don't know what the heck I should care about when it comes to, you know, Andrew's step count or Rachel's oxygen count in a given day. What's been the kind of status quo reaction to wearables to date? Absolutely a mixed bag. So, you know, I, I'm, I am positive about the, the potential for wearables, but I'm realistic about the challenges. And so if you're looking at what are the opportunities for instituting some of these wearables, there's kind of two main tracks. The first is around kind of just hopefully avoiding those those costly care episodes, right? If you're managing at-risk populations and you provide them with these devices to track their daily living, their daily habits, their mental states, you're providing new means of, of really having proactive interventions there, right? Um, customized care plans and, and things like that that really sort of go beyond just what's in the medical record. And, and that should be the goal for, for any kind of value-based care environment. But I think beyond that, the other real metric that's that's still kind of soft as far as like an ROI for some folks is really kind of focusing in on patient engagement and satisfaction in their care. So we've talked for years about healthcare consumerism, right? We, we've done that to mm-hmm. death as far as a topic, but it, it is the case that patients are not only becoming more demanding, but they're more tech savvy and they kind of expect these digital interactions with their provider to make things more convenient, to make access better. And so, you know, wearables not only can attract patients to those digital experiences, but they could also provide a greater sense of patient education for their own health status. And it gives them a greater sense of control. They feel like, hey, I've got these wearables and these mobile apps. I'm tracking my own data that I could actually bring something to the table when I meet my doctor. So I'm not just sitting there as a blank slate while my doctor tells me what he or she thinks is my problem. But you're not necessarily suggesting that doctors start doing their own fitness classes online for their patients, maybe a la what CVS is doing, that it's more about the broader patient experience, engaging patients in their care plan, and and helping them manage their diseases. Right. There is a lot that goes on when you're not sitting in front of a doctor, right? If you think about the, the entirety of your life, there's a very small percentage of that that gets noted by your clinician if they're not tied into your daily living. But I think that that, that does bring in some of the challenges, right? We did mention it's a mixed bag. And I think when it comes to the use of wearables, it is primarily going to be a data management problem because raw data on its own is completely useless to a clinician, right? So mm-hmm. you have to be able to determine what data is useful to collect, how to analyze it to make it actionable. So this is where you start tying in, you know, the use of visualization capabilities to track outliers, to do some risk trending or kind of prescriptive recommendations through something like an like an AI model. And it's just about making this as seamless as possible for clinicians, right? You don't want to disrupt their workflow, but you also have to account for the fact that there's 
ongoing challenges with data accuracy, with security of these devices, with potential liability, right? If you're a clinician and you're just getting data flooded to you, I mean, what's the expectation that you're actually going to act on something? That's right. And and what if you don't, right? If What if you a, a patient sends you their heart rate data consistently and, and you miss it and something bad happens and the patient gets hurt, right? I mean, to what degree as a clinician would you be liable for that? I think that's just a landmine that, that clinicians don't want to step on right now, right? They're, they're looking to kind of just wait and see how this all pans out. Is that what you see folks are going to do? Or do you see a world where the deals that are on the table now, the advancements in technology means that your traditional health system or physician group is going to have to dive into either the wearables game or at least be able to access the data that patients already have? Right. I mean, there there is a competitive positioning here as far as being that healthcare provider that actually embraces data that's coming from patients. And, and also there is the sort of sy- systematic value-based care pressure of, you know, are, are we going to actually track all of this behavioral and lifestyle data that could account for 80% of a patient's health status? I mean, that sounds pretty important, right? As far as just improving patient care as far as as the main goal of what we're trying to do here. So Mm -hmm. I think that's the reality. I think, though, there is also the need to make consumers actually have some skin in the game here, right? Because there is adoption and persistence challenges with wearables. There's that kind of that common problem of high abandonment rates, that that notion of I'm going to buy a wearable and I'm going to be tracking my daily steps for a couple of weeks and maybe a couple of months. And and then after a while, I don't really care that I hit 10,000 steps again because I feel like I've been doing that on and on. So there are a lot of factors at play as far as as how patients get on board with this. Out of curiosity, do you use a wearable device, a smartwatch like this? I don't. I feel like if I go buy one next year, a way more advanced model is going to come out and I'm going to feel like I missed the boat. And so I, I was always kind of one of the late adopters uh, when it would come to even something like a like a smartphone. I actually took me years to f- buy my first iPhone because I was just wow. so concerned about the investment, which is funny because I'm like this digital health guy who's talking about yeah. tech and all that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm but when it comes to like where I spend my dollars, I'm always like very like conservative about like spending it on the latest and greatest device that's out there. Well, I am probably the polar opposite of that. If I can reveal just how big of a nerd I am, before smartwatches was a thing, I used to walk with a pedometer. (laughs) Literally, I was that person who wanted to track my steps so badly. I had the pedometer that fit on my hip belt, and I walked around because I wanted to get 10,000 steps, and I've had... Let's see, the jawbone. I I woke up at midnight to buy the first Apple Watch. Now I'm a now I'm a I'm a runner, so I'm a very loyal Garmin user. But my second question beyond do you have a device is is if you did, would you want your doctor to know what's in there? I would be open to that. I mean, I, I really here's the thing. It comes down to everyone's individual conditions, right? Like I'm fortunate to be healthy. I, I really don't have a, a need to see my doctor consistently. I, I do an annual visit once a year and that's really it. it and, and I'm being honest here. Like I've had the same primary care doctor for about three years. I, I don't even remember his name. And, and so <laughs> like that, that should tell you something, right? Like I'm not, I'm not really actively engaged with sharing my data with him or, but I would still be interested, you know, if, if it would catch me off guard if I went to visit my doctor and he noticed that I had a smartwatch on and he like initiated that discussion of, 
oh, hey, what have you been tracking and how could we incorporate that? Like that would, I feel like that conversation would have to be on my shoulders to start and to bring that up. And that's fine, but I just, you know, I'm open to it. I just, in my personal life, I just haven't had that experience. As a runner and somebody who gets hurt a lot, I think I would actually genuinely want my orthopedic doctor to know. Mm. (laughs) Well, Andrew, I want to thank you so much for hopping on Radio Advisory again. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked last time. What do you want executives to focus on when it comes to wearables right now? Yeah, I would say, look, wearables, they're going to have a play as far as advancing population health management. They're going to help to build out your consumerism strategies, but you shouldn't look at wearables as a standalone technology, right? It's got to be part of a of a multi-dimensional clinical program for, for wellness. And so if you think about wearables as far as them being just one source of patient-generated data, you got to compile that with mobile apps and home monitoring equipment and virtual assistants and patient portals, right? And then have those appropriate wraparound services that are actually typically non-tech in, in nature. So your care managers, your your social networks and communities, your health navigators, your, your coaches, right? Those are the, the people who are actually going to keep patients accountable because patients will not often act in their own self-interest, right? Banking on intrinsic motivation, it's it's unrealistic. And so you either have to make this technology, even from the consumer side or the clinician side, it's about making it so seamless and as far as its design, as far as its data management, that it's completely effortless for everyone, right? Um, or you just got to provide them with the incentives and just pay them to use it. And you know, that's where you just kind of, <laughs> that's where you just bring a sledgehammer and just force these issues through. But um, anyway, lots of potential, lots of barriers. We, we are fair about acknowledging that it's a mixed bag, but um, I'm generally optimistic about the use of wearables in healthcare. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. When it comes to wearables, I think it's easy to feel distracted. Like this isn't something that today's providers should care about. But there is a role here. At a minimum, health systems and physician groups need to make sure they're carving out their space as the front door to the health system. Because that's exactly what CVS is trying to do. And remember, we're here to help. Honestly, I got this close to buying a smartwatch. I'm still on the I'll fence. I'll tell you a really good deal on two old pairs that I have. Joe and Chris know that I am like selling all this stuff. Trying to get rid of a car, trying to get rid of a couch. <laughs>